are listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Dyker. Thanks for joining me for episode 29, Lessons from the Pandemic. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More about CSBA later in the show. My conversation with appellate lawyer C.C. Berman is coming up next. So, C.C. Berman, welcome back to the Issues on Appeal podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, I just had, you were, you were on briefly before telling an oral argument story, but I'm glad to finally get you cornered to be a, a full-time guest. <laughs> well, I am glad to be here as a full-time guest. So as we sit here today, this is when we're recording on May 7th. So we're just talking before the show, it's eight weeks for me uh, into the uh, work at home and, you know, sort of eight weeks since since the stay at home orders have been instituted in our respective counties and since school has been out. And so I thought it would be a good time to talk about, you know, what lessons have we learned from this? unprecedented time with the COVID-19 pandemic and, and, you know, how will this kind of change our lives going forward? Cause it's, it's a hard topic to get away from right now. Right. But I think it's, it's interesting to talk about and to talk about from our perspective as appellate lawyers and it's between you and me, it's good because I am approaching this from more of a, having lived a, a more recently a big firm or, you know, regional firm, uh, lifestyle work style i guess and and you're coming at this from more of a small firm appellate boutique uh which we should mention until just recently was brannock and humphreys is now brannock humphreys and berman so congratulations on that that's awesome thank you so much uh tell me a little bit about your your pre-pandemic workflow are you somebody who worked primarily from the office were you a were you a home worker at all what how did you approach your work uh, in the before times? In the before times, I was definitely a work from the office person. Um, I like the sort of schedule and routine of it. I've also got two kids. Um, they're not very little, but they're also young enough. They're not college age or anything. And it just provides that sort of separate space. And so, you know, they go to school, I go to work, then I come home. Now, having said that, I do have a home setup that I certainly took advantage of in the before times. You know, there might be instances where it would be nice. Maybe you have, you know, plumbing work or electrical work at the house that day and, you know, somebody needs to be home. Certainly in those instances, I would be home and I would work from home while I waited on that electrical work or plumbing work to be done. But it wasn't my day in, day out routine or even say a weekly or, you know, bi-weekly kind of event of I'm just going to stay and work from home today. I mean, once in a blue moon, but it was pretty, pretty rare for me to do that. Um, mostly I like to work at the office and I, and I did a lot of work at home in the evening. Um, because of course, once I came home for dinner and all that stuff, I, then any additional work I had to do, I typically did from home, but I, I still liked that routine of going to the office. Yeah, I mean, I think my approach is very similar. I was definitely a work from the office uh, person. Uh, I would do work in the evenings, but 
usually limited to things that I could do easily. I didn't really even have a home office set up per se. Ironically, I have a, a podcasting studio set up, <laughs> but, but not really, you're right. But not really a, not really a work set up per se. And so if I wanted to do work, I'd, I'd bring my laptop home and half the time I'd sit on the couch in the living room or something because, you know, I was doing work, but if I really had serious work to do, I would stay late at the office and I would do it. You know, that was just, it was just how I worked. That was where everything was. Uh, that's where I felt comfortable and that's where the work got done. But, um, all of a sudden things well, changed. Well, that would have been my preferred method too, for sure. Yeah. Um, but that my children usually brought me home and then would send right. me back into work in the evening. It, otherwise I would have preferred to just stay until I was done and then, you know, do my work there. And it's funny you bring up the dedicated office because we did not have one ourselves until we purchased a new home within the past year, which now that we're in the after and not the before <laughs> time, I am very thankful because my only work from home setup before was carting a laptop around as you described. I mean, we didn't even have a guest bedroom. There was, there was nowhere for me to go. Um, and it wasn't always the most comfortable or my favorite. Um, and I'm very grateful now. <laughs> Well, so now since the since the stay at home or safer at home orders, I guess it depends where you're in and what county you're in and exactly what they call them. But but let's let's be real, they're stay at home orders. Uh, since that happened, uh, how have things been running at your law firm? Is is anybody at the office on a daily basis? Uh, no, they're not. So I know that the stay at home orders vary a little from county to county. So depending on where you're located, might depend on, you know, when that went into effect. Here, uh, where our office is located in Hillsborough, actually, the stay-at-home, I don't remember exactly, but it hasn't been eight weeks. It's been, I remember taking spring break with my kids. We didn't go anywhere because this was all beginning to unfold, but there was no stay-at-home order in place yet, and that was in mid to late March. And I want to say it was another week or two before it was entered because I can tell you that that kind of guided our office closure situation. And so, and we haven't been closed quite as long. Now, we did have a period of time that was a very relaxed, I'll call it, atmosphere uh, around that mid to late March time period right before those, you know, it was all moving so quickly, if you remember now. I mean, every two days, something would change or something would be open, 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 and then suddenly not, you know, and piece by piece, things seem to be happening. So it's hard to remember it all now, but during that time in mid to late March, people are definitely becoming alert. People were canceling spring break plans, um, you know, and we started operating in our office around that time where we didn't close up our office, but we certainly let everyone know they didn't need to feel like they needed to come in. Um, they could work from home if they wanted to. We even, you know, for anyone who had an easy work from home setup, like I do, we encouraged them to work from home so that folks who didn't have quite so easy of a setup could feel more comfortable coming to the office if that was easier for them. And so we operated like that. I really can't remember now how long, whether that was one week or 10 days or two weeks, but we had kind of a flex time in there where I feel like maybe we had five people, you know, out of our 15 or 20 people, you know, in there at any given time, four to six people, something like that. And then when, you know, the stay-at-home orders became crystal clear and the governor's order came out, we just went ahead and closed our office and had everybody start working from home. Um, and we've really been pleased, I have to say. It's 
been pretty seamless for us. So it's been it's been really nice. We had to you know make a few staff accommodations in terms of some equipment and technical stuff. And for instance, I don't you know we were talking about laptops a minute ago. I don't have my laptop right now uh, because I gave it to someone else to use during this time and all those sorts of things. But you know we made those adjustments within a day, and things have been going very well ever since. Yeah, it really has amazed me. I mean, so so my firm is, you know, a larger firm. We've got, I don't know, 60 lawyers in, well, Tampa plus Sarasota. We've, you know, probably 100 lawyers in Florida in the Tampa Bay area. So it's it's a it's a big operation, and I'm not directly involved in, in the management at this point. So I, I didn't get involved in the nitty-gritty of that decision-making, but I was amazed at how you know, I know, don't get me wrong, I know a lot of work and a lot of thought went into it and a lot of disruptions, but it really did amaze me how the transition into getting people working at home was much easier, let's put it that way, than I would have thought it been, because it was honestly something we had not really considered. You know, we had contingency plans for hurricanes and things that might shut down our servers for a couple of days or things that might shut down our office for a couple of days where things could be routed to other parts of the country and that sort of thing. But I'm not sure we had really thought about, I had certainly personally never thought about something like this uh, that would have the kind of wide ranging effects that a pandemic has. So I was, I was amazed. We had not really given a lot of thought to people working at home for an extended period of time and especially non-lawyer staff. And it was, it was pretty amazing to me how uh, we were able to make that change. I think that was exactly the same for us. And I think a lot of people did that. You sort of built on things like your hurricane contingency plans, but suddenly your IT folks are explaining to you why when all the lawyers say, well, we have a hurricane plan and the IT folks would explain why that was not exactly, that was useful perhaps and helpful, but not exactly the same thing. Right. And it's funny that you mentioned management because we are a small firm. And so I do do that. And it's funny you should mention that because it, it, Distraction is obviously not the right word for what it was because it was such an important thing. But there was a chunk of time there when this all began where it was very difficult to really get much work done if you had any kind of management role, I felt like, because it was constantly changing and you were trying to make sure that you were thinking about everything, being abreast of everything, trying to get ahead of what was coming down the pipe or what looked like was coming, making sure your employees felt safe and had what they needed. It was just really, really, really time consuming. Um, thinking about, um, you know, ev just everything. I mean, the little things, we are not in a large building downtown. We have our own building. It doesn't have a mailbox because we have a front door and they deliver <laughs> Monday through Friday and the mailman walks in and suddenly you realize you need a mailbox that is approved, an approved mailbox and is set up outside and is secure so that if someone doesn't check it every single day, you know, everything's okay. I mean, minutia that doesn't really cross your mind until you have to deal with it. And I would say my two partners and I and our office manager spent so much time, you know, off and on within, I really do feel like it was like the last week in March rolling. Uh, yeah, probably about the last week in March, really hashing through a lot of that before in those days leading up to closing for good. And even the debate about even if you didn't need to be closed, what did you want to do? What could you do? What would be the best, what would be best practices? You know, what's best for everyone and what you see happening right now in the country? Um, 
health versus economics or the tension rather that can be there in, in considering all those things and trying to do the right thing for everyone and yet doing the right thing for business so that everyone still has a job. I mean, these are all very hard things to be talking about and constantly thinking about, again, when everything is in flux. It's, it's seemingly a lot more settled right now, actually. And yeah. now no one's in a hurry to reopen, it doesn't seem. I don't know about you all, but we could. We have not. <laughs> I should say that my firm has never completely closed. Uh, there has always been a skeleton crew of people there that voluntarily. You know, nobody was made to go in, but there were staff people who were willing to go in. And, of course, they're in a much safer environment when there's a handful of people in an office that's designed to accommodate 100 people. So we were never completely closed. And I think that the Hillsborough orders made it clear that lawyers are uh, essential, at least um, to some degree. And there's some confusion, I guess, over exactly what it means. But So we were never completely closed. But, but yeah, we are still in a status where uh, the majority of attorneys are working from home. Uh, and I think that we have sort of entered this next phase where we've, you know, everybody's working, the systems are sort of down, we know that we can do this, and now we're looking at the next phase, which is how do we stop doing this, you know, in a safe and gradual fashion, and, you know, when is the right time, and, and that can be tough decisions to make, for sure. For sure, because that is definitely where we're headed, and you're right. We even talked about whether the um, governor's order applied to us or not and ultimately decided we could remain open. But unlike you all, we're not very big. And so, you know, for a while, I told you we only had a few people. And then we talked about shrinking down to only maybe one person in there. Um, you know, maybe they are they are one of our, our staff members. But, you know, then we even thought about practical things. Again, your, your office is in a large building and you've got a parking garage and the security guard and everything else and we weren't sure did we want to leave one person did they how did anyone feel about hanging out by themselves at our office day in day out in the standalone building somewhere i mean um you know we tried to talk with the folks in the office too and then of course take into consideration things like making sure people feel comfortable telling you what they're comfortable with um so it's all it, it, it's all very tough. So ultimately for us, because we are smaller, we certainly could make the decisions to go ahead and fully close. And so we did. But it wasn't a decision that we made lightly. And that's probably why we incurred all the time I talked about from a management standpoint before we reached that decision, um, because we were constantly evolving ourselves in, in terms of what we're going to do. And now you're right. Now the question is, how do we go from where we are now moving back toward where we were and what will that look like and the gradual nature of it what will be the timeline on it who is going to go um back how many people what kind of protocols will we have in the office what kinds of things will change in the office um you know we used to have a bi-weekly lunch business meeting which we're doing now via zoom um mm -hmm. where we all gathered for lunch in a large conference room. And I would say, depending on if folks had, you know, a court hearing or something, or they were on vacation, something that took someone out of the office, we would have anywhere from probably 14 up to 20 people uh, in, in this large conference room, sitting around the table, having our meeting and having lunch. Well, we probably won't be doing that. And so those kinds of, and that's just an easy example, right? I mean, we won't be doing things like that, but what other 
things will happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's still going to be an interesting time. This episode is again sponsored by CSBA, but they've slightly updated their name to reflect their focus on court-related surety bonds. CSBA is now Court Surety Bond Agency, emphasizing the fact that CSBA is the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. CSBA has recently created a new website that is a great resource for appellate attorneys, includes general information on the nuts and bolts of securing an appellate bond with specific forms of collateral, an interactive map with each state's stay and appeal bond requirements, and a list of surety companies certified for use in federal court. Be sure to check it out and bookmark the site in your favorite browser. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact Court Surety Bond Agency. They can be reached at courtsurety.com or toll-free at 877-810-5525. Their contact information is always in the show notes. My thanks to CSBA for being a longtime sponsor of the Issues on Appeal podcast. Some of the things I want to talk about is, you know, what, what have we learned to this point, right? And I think one of the things that, that I feel like I've learned personally is, you know what, you, you can work effectively from home. And, and maybe it's, it's easier for us as appellate lawyers because of the nature we work we do. But I find that I have, um, I've invested, you know, some time and some money in getting my home office set up and getting sort of a... Uh, kind of duplicating, you know, the setup that I have downtown uh, in my office. And I find that, um, you know what, I, I can work pretty efficiently. Now, I do have the I have the advantage of not having, uh, you know, all my kids are, uh, my oldest daughter is out of the house and my, my youngest daughter is in college, so I don't have to uh, pay too much attention to, <laughs> I'm not homeschooling or anything, which is a huge advantage. Don't get me wrong, I get that. but um, But, you know what? Working from home these days with the technology that we have and the ability to, you know, virtual private networks and all that sort of thing, it's it's amazing how much work I can get done. I've filed a number of briefs from home, and I find it's um, it's okay. I mean, how do you feel about it? I feel pretty much the same. Um, I think where I notice a change are the little things that are most simply handled in a conversation. And of course, just because we're all at home doesn't mean you can't pick up the phone and have that conversation. But for some reason, you just, at least I or and I find folks in my office, default to email when we're not all there in person. Um, and so when it comes to appellate work, no problem um, from home. I mean, the setup here and what I do here really isn't that much different at all from work. It was already like that when I mentioned the times I would work from home pre-pandemic, it's really much of the same. What I find a little more troublesome is what I will call the day-to-day stuff and tasks and uh, things like some kind of back-and-forth small conversation we'd be having. And even if I do call, say, my assistant about it, she might be tied up at the moment. Now I'm tied up. It's not like when you're in the office, you can peek your head around the corner and see oh, Cece's on the phone right now. I'll touch base with her in a few minutes when she gets off or Cece's having lunch. Um, but I can see her having lunch sitting over in the <laughs> kitchen. You know, I'll catch her after, you know. And so you don't want to stalk somebody or hound them and call them and call them. And so I find that we don't end up calling. You have to really make an effort to pick up the phone and call. 
and, it, and as a result, the email traffic is insane. And I think for many of us, it was already insane to begin mm. with. So I don't care for that. But otherwise, it's very doable, 100% very doable to work from home. It's at least doing what you and I do. Yeah, the the collaboration, the communication is really important, I think. And um, one uh, advantage that, that, that I have, I think, because of the, you know, sort of the the big firm mentality and the and the um, structure IT structure that we have is we have uh, Skype for business, which I think is becoming Microsoft Teams, and so I have a little window that's open all the time on my computer when I'm in my virtual private network, and everybody at the firm that I generally communicate with is on that list, and I can tell whether they're logged in or not, or whether they're on a call or not, you know, at a glance with a red or green you know, sort of indicator. And with just a click of a button, I can place a video call to them, you know, and everybody's got the, um, the video set up and stuff. So I actually find myself talking to, you know, people that I would normally pop my head into their office. I find myself talking to them two or three times a day, you know, on on a video chat, which is actually kind of nice because it, it feels more personal. It feels more like a connection, uh, like you said, clearly not as easy as, as walk by somebody's office, but at least it's something. Oh, that's very cool. We, we are not doing that, and that's interesting to learn about. And that's one of the things that is also happening during all this, right? You talk to someone, and you hear about something cool they're doing or a piece of technology they're using, and you go, oh, neat. I want to be able to do that. What was that app you're using? And you learn about it. Um, so for example, what you just talked about, that sounds like that would be wonderful for some of what I was talking about, but we're not operating like that. Although you better believe I just took some notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because we, we've had this system in place for a while and nobody ever used it, you know, because the thought was, oh, well, you know, if I want to talk to somebody on the other side of the firm, you know, I'll, I'll video conference them. And I never did that. <laughs> I, I got up and I walked down to their office, you know, but now that we're remote, we're so happy that we have all that structure in place because it really does make it, it makes the collaboration a lot easier. It's pretty cool. And you can share your screen if you want to, you know, if you want to show somebody something in a right. document, uh, all that kind of stuff, which is, which is um, very helpful. It's really cool. I also find that the importance of self-sufficiency <laughs> is really highlighted now, right? Because when you're working in an office and your 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 assistant is right there and your paralegals are right there, uh, it's maybe not as important that you know how to electronically file a document or that you can do some of the nitty gritty of the of the you know what I would call more technical stuff. And uh, there's definitely this is sort of highlighting, I think, the need to be, or at least the benefits of being more knowledgeable about these things and being more self-sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there, I have to admit, I've been very fortunate. Um, we ha- we are connected, though, throughout the day, if need be. So I have I've still been able, at least during, you know, regular business hours, like always, I can shoot an email or make a quick phone call, but it has been more email, as I mentioned, to one of our paralegals and and say, hey, I, I need some help, and we, we've got this going on. Or in our office, we ha- already have a system in place. It's just how we operate, that when there's something going on or something due, they are very proactive, and they will touch base with the lawyers about it the day before, the day of, that everybody knows what to expect in terms of timing for filing and all kinds of things. And that's 
that's just how we operated before anyway. But so it's a practice that's still in play. So I'm very lucky because I don't, that has not changed for us. If I have something going out or that needs to be filed or needs to be done, it's still being handled um, the same way it always was. Uh, and which is nice. It's very nice. How have things changed with communications with clients? Has, has anything changed for you? Do you find it any harder to communicate with clients during this time? Not too much. Um, let me think. I, I, you know, doing appellate work, we don't have a lot of in-person. I don't know about you anyway, but I don't have a lot of in-person client meetings uh, too frequently. No. So that's really no different. Uh, most of my client contact is by phone anyway. A lot of times folks aren't even local. Uh, so that's, still the same. I haven't had any trouble getting in touch with clients because I know that can become a bit of an issue because everyone does have a different situation. Some people are at home, homeschooling a six-year-old or whatever else. And so their availability might be a little different. On the one hand, you'd feel perhaps they're more captive because they're not going anywhere. But on the other hand, they might have a little bit more of a varied or unpredictable schedule as well. But for most of my clients, I have not uh, had that experience. We do have one um, vendor, actually, outside vendor we work with pretty regularly. And I will say her communication has changed quite a bit. And that's, that's due for her to being at, uh, at home with a very young child. She's still on it. But, for example, we definitely email now a lot more at certain times of the day than talking at all times of the day like we used to. But all in all, I would say most of my client communication has been the same. I, oh, I did experience the one thing I've heard a few people talk about. I had a conference call set up about a week ago that in the before world would have always been a telephone conference call. And for the first time, it was set up as a Skype video chat, which was funny to me because we'd never done that before right. <laughs> in the case. And it, with this large group of lawyers, it's always been by phone. But now that we, and, and, the, and the lawyers have never gotten together in person. These are people spread in this instance all over the country. Um, but this time in the after time, <laughs> we had the call by Skype video, which yeah. I got a kick out of. It is interesting, right? I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's fascinating to me. I have had the same experience that things that would have normally been done by telephone now are sometimes done by Skype. And I, I have a couple of theories. Uh, one theory is that uh, people have just learned that this is really, you know, it's easier to do than they thought, you know, or they've gone through the steps to acquire the equipment because they think they're supposed to. You know, I don't know if you've looked, but it's like impossible to buy a webcam right now on, on Amazon or on Best Buy because people have been, must have been buying them like crazy. So, you know, I think people have acquired the equipment because they feel like this is something I need to do. And they've figured out the software. So now they're like, well, why aren't we doing this by video, right? I think I think that's one thing. Um, and, and the second is I think that it does just feel like more of a connection, maybe. It feels more personal. And I think people are kind of starving for that, <laughs> you know. We're, we're so isolated from everybody but our immediate families now that I think that the video conferencing actually makes us feel better about having our meetings. I, I don't know. You, 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 you think I'm, you think I'm onto something? No, I, I think that, no, I do. I do. I've been thinking the same thing. I think that 
Well, for one thing, there's just the simple answer, too. If people are suddenly a lot more comfortable using that technology yep. than they were a mere month ago. So they feel like, oh, I can do that. I can I can host that meeting. I know how to do that. I know how to run that. And I don't need someone from IT to come walk me through it anymore. And then, yes, I think the other thing is sometimes people recognize this maybe would have been a phone call. But since we don't see anybody else anyway, this should be our, this is our chance. <laughs> this is our person-to-person contact, you know, not counting family members you know, for the next 48 hours or whatever the case may be. So I know I think you're onto something. And I think it's, um, it's interesting to have these video conferences and to see where people are working from, you know, and, and sort of get a little bit of a glimpse into, you know, are they working from a spare bedroom? Are they working from their dining room table? You know, are they working from their pool? I've had, I've had all those things come up in, in video conferences and, then people learned how to do virtual backgrounds and who, who knows where they're really, <laughs> where they're really calling from. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And we've had the instance in our house where you've, I think we've had up to three going on at once because the kids will occasionally have zoom calls for school. And then, as you know, my husband is an attorney. And so he had a hearing yesterday via zoom and i i might have something like i said we haven't had something so far where four people were all doing it at once but i think we have had one time where three people were so that means the next thing you know for instance the home office which we have one home office but we can't both be in it you know at one time um and so we find ourselves kind of moving around even, you know, yeah. one day the call might be in the dining room and the next day it might be outside and It just depends on what's going on in the house. And we've even now worked out where we can place a card table and a laptop up in our bedroom that doesn't look like you're up in somebody's bedroom. You know, you just see a wall (laughs) and like a door frame. Yep. So. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things I've done here, this is a deep dive into my post-pandemic issues now, but I, I installed a little hook next to my my computer desk that I keep my issues on appeal baseball cap and uh so anytime the video phone rings I can put my hat on because it's been 8 weeks without a haircut or or 10 weeks or something now so right. I, I've given up on trying to uh control it so I just put on a hat <laughs> I know that is an excellent excellent way to handle things yeah that call last week it was funny because afterwards the client called me back when the whole call was over and just called me on the phone and said, so I am sorry. I thought about it later. Did we make you get dressed up for the day? And I said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, you did. (laughs) (laughs) And I laughed and I said, but it's okay. I'm really just teasing because you know, it's good to brush your hair and put on some makeup once every 30 days. No worries. (laughs) Right. Right. I I find I rarely wear a belt or shoes anymore. You know, it's just like, I can admit I'm not in my pajamas all day, every day. I've heard that a lot from people. I can say with, in complete honesty that I do get up and I do shower and get dressed every day, but I can't admit to doing m- much beyond that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, agreed. One of the things that's really impressed me is how well the appellate courts have adapted to this new world. I mean, I think there's been virtually most of my experience, I've got a couple things in outside the second, but most of my stuff is in the second DCA. And it feels like there's been no slowdown on orders coming in or things being processed. And, you know, now the court is doing Zoom oral arguments. And I've just been really uh, amazed at how 
the appellate courts have adapted. It's it's been amazing. I feel exactly the same way. I have not had an oral argument yet, um, and I don't have any coming up anytime soon. I I think this summer will be the soonest one, and right now, anyway, those are set to be live with the caveat in the orders that you know that may change. I have not had that experience, but like you, certainly when it just comes to orders and filings and just kind of routine business, I didn't notice any change at all. And I've had clients ask about that. And I've said, you know, we haven't seen that. Obviously, in the trial court system and with the suspension of jury trials, that's a whole different ball of wax. But for us in the appellate court, I'm, I'm sure it was not that the court probably felt much the same way a lot of us did. But certainly on the outside, as far as I can tell, they look to be pretty seamless, too, at least from our end as the user of the court system. Been very easy. Yeah, and it's totally different, I guess, right? Because the, the the trial courts have concerns, I think justified concerns, about examining witnesses and cross examination, your constitutional right to confront witnesses, and all that sort of thing. You know, evidentiary hearings remotely is a whole different whole different animal. But there's really no reason why appellate arguments, which are just legal arguments, can't be done remotely. And I appreciate the fact that the court wants to, you know, keep keep things moving uh, and keep their dockets flowing. And, you know, maybe it's not ideal and maybe I wouldn't. There are certain cases I wouldn't want to do remotely if I had the choice. But, boy, I think it's great that they're doing it this way. And I wonder if it's not going to become an option in the future for cases where when, you know, once the appellate courts figure out that this this can be done, uh Maybe there'll be times where people agree, hey, let's just do the virtual OA docket. Or, you know, this is a pro bono case and I don't want to travel to Miami. Or this, there's just not enough money and dispute in this case to, to warrant uh, the time for an in-person appearance. So I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe this will lead to some changes down the road where this is just a thing that it won't always be, but maybe it's an option. Right. I think a lot of people have talked about that. And I think you're right. I mean, the trial courts have entirely different concerns. And that's why I think we are we are seeing something different, or it feels like it anyway. Again, you and I aren't regular users of the circuit courts. But I mean, certainly it impacts us given what we do. And just we all see it. We all get all the updates. But the appellate courts, by the very nature of what they do, don't necessarily, we, we don't have those evidentiary hearings. We don't have a jury pool that somehow we're trying to figure out how to safely gather, those kinds of things. So then it just becomes a question of, do, do people like this? Does the court like some of these options? Do litigants like some of these options? And if the answers are yes to some or all of those questions, maybe you're right. Maybe it will become something that becomes an option down the road. Maybe it doesn't quite become the norm like it is currently. But it does become just another option sometimes. Just another another uh, tool in the in the bag of tools to to get cases resolved. I did spend a little bit of time this week um, listening to the first Florida Supreme Court uh, arguments on Zoom. Did you have a chance to see that? I did not. In fact, I even had them calendared to take a peek, and I got jammed up with something, so I have not. I thought it went really well, and I, uh, a friend of mine, I, uh, I think a friend of ours, David Caldavia, was one of the uh, attorneys who was arguing one of the cases, and may have to get him on the podcast to talk to him about the experience, because I read later that the Supreme Court said 30,000 people tuned in to watch those arguments, which is just amazing. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it went really well. I mean, I think I thought that it went well. Uh, I thought that the technology worked. Um, I thought that the Zoom virtual background that the court used was a little different. I don't know. You know, the, somebody had clearly taken a picture of the Florida Supreme Court courtroom and used that, given that to the judges, justices to use as a background. And it looked kind of like they were all sitting in the middle of an empty courtroom with the bench behind them, which was just kind of a weird effect. So there's some fine tuning, you know, maybe that we might have to do, but it seemed like it worked. I'd be curious if the, if the justices thought it worked, because it seemed like it worked. It will be interesting. I'm very curious to see what uh, the judges think about it on from their side of things. And I mean, ultimately that is probably what counts more than anything, right? Is whether, whether they think, right, uh, right. whether they think it works. Even interesting that the, uh, you know, United States Supreme court, now they haven't quite gotten to the zoom level, uh, but they're doing uh, telephonic arguments. Um, I listened to some of that too, uh, this week and, you know, I do think the video adds something. I, I don't know that it's, uh, again, I guess all that matters is what do the Supreme Court justices think, but to me it wasn't as engaging or as clear necessarily um, by doing it by telephone. But but I'm glad an institution like that that is so steeped in tradition and uh, you know generally doesn't change their ways, I'm glad that they were uh, willing to adapt and, and do these telephonic arguments and, again, just you know keep the world moving. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. It is interesting to see right after all this time, that's a big step for the United States Supreme Court. You know, there have been some federal circuit arguments done by telephone as well. And, and mm-hmm. there's, I think everyone agrees universally. It's just not the same as the video platform in terms of how smoothly it goes. There's protocols in place to keep people from talking over one another, which is useful, but that also then changes the dynamic and flow as well. And of course, the inability to just see your audience uh, is difficult. You know, it will be interesting to see how far behind the circuit courts get in their dockets as compared to the appellate courts, because I feel like the appellate courts are keeping up. You know, I, I imagine that there are some people who are maybe objecting to doing remote oral arguments and maybe their cases are getting pushed back by agreement or whatever. But I think generally the appellate courts seem to be pushing forward. Circuit courts, not so much, right? I mean, the the uh, chief justice just extended uh, the order about uh, jury trials uh, through, I think, to the beginning of July. Uh, so now we're losing months um, in the trial dockets of things that, that need to be done in person. And uh, I, I imagine that that's going to be a ripple effect that's going to affect the circuit courts for a while and ultimately affect us as appellate lawyers, right? Because it's probably slowing down the number of appealable orders coming out of the circuit court. I mean, I guess there's still summary judgment orders and that kind of thing, but but uh, it's probably slowing the flow of final orders, and we'll feel that at some point. I think, yes, I think you're right. I think I've heard lots of appellate lawyers talking about that. And that's an interesting development to just watch as a lawyer, not just the trickle-down effect for appeals, but what you commented on, that we have things that have to be done in person, although I've seen debate among lawyers about that, but not as much. Um, I think that, you know, most, many at least, many people think that there's some of that that is most appropriately done in person. And 
you certainly have some constitutional concerns uh, right now. And so it, it is an interesting, interesting dilemma, uh, I think, how to deal with the trial court system and things like trials um, and getting those done and, um, and the need to get those done and how that will happen. So that's been interesting to watch. From a purely appellate standpoint, I think you're right. I think everyone's assuming that that will absolutely impact what we do. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned, I was thinking as you talked about it, the appellate courts seem to be keeping up. And so will the appellate courts have a little bit at some point down the line, will it be noticeable or will it not really be noticeable? Maybe a slight you know, downward trend in the number of final orders coming out of the trial court system at any one time, but maybe not enough that you really notice. You see it on a piece of paper and data, but you don't really feel it. Mm-hmm. Or will it be enough to feel it? Or will the circuit courts have the ability to somehow catch up, um, or if not fully catch up, kind of catch up faster than you would think? Uh, will parties do things? Um, will it motivate different behavior from litigants in the trial court setting? So will, for instance, delays, will you see things settle that maybe wouldn't have settled? Will you see other types of agreements like that or agreements on how to handle a certain witness if it means we can get this hearing done? You know, those kinds of things. I don't have enough experience because I don't do that to see whether anything like that's happening currently or not, or if that's a silly question or observation or thing to wonder about, uh, or whether as time goes on, maybe no one's doing those things now, but they will start to, um, I'm wondering. And, and if so, that could impact the need for maybe a trial that no longer needs to happen or whatever the case may be. No, I think that's a great point that I had not uh, fully thought about before. Uh, you know, litigation is always driven by time and money. And when litigants are faced with these types of delays, maybe it does change their behavior. You know, maybe cases do settle or more more things can be stipulated or I guess we can't just assume that the whole docket gets shifted three or four months because all those things do affect how how uh, you know parties perceive their case and and what strategic decisions they make. So I guess we'll we'll just sort of have to ride it out and see. But you know, I don't think again it's one of those things. I don't think any of us had given any thought to you know what happens if the circuit court shut down for three months because <laughs> that was not on. No, our radar I mean screen. I've never given it. Not at all. Again, I think that goes back to what you're talking about IT and hurricanes. I mean, I think we think about natural disasters. Maybe you even think about a month or you think about the need to move to the next county over to do, you know, work after a few days or, you know, worst, worst case scenario, if you're a courthouse or whatever, or you find a building that didn't get so horribly damaged by the hurricane and you relocate your operations after a few weeks to that new building temporarily or whatever the case may be, I think is how we all think. I certainly have never given any thought to something that would have a much longer term, long time effect on the practice of law, or at least litigation. So what do you think going forward? So when, when we get past the point that, that we have to, or need to, or should uh, shelter more at home, and we get back to a, a time when it's, I don't know, either we flatten the curve or we've developed a treatment or we've developed a vaccine or whatever where the risk is less and things are more normal-ish, um, it, still, I, it still feels like there's going to be changes. I mean, do you, do you see yourself working more from home now that you've sort of burst the bubble on that? I don't know. I think so. I, 
I would have certainly said yes a couple of weeks ago, but then I think about the things it's been easy to work at home too, when other people are at home because I don't feel like things are happening sort of without me, like a little kid missing out on a party. <laughs> you <Right>. know, things <laughs> aren't happening out in the world without me. I'm not, missing an HCBA lunch or missing what's happening in the office because everybody's in the same boat. Um, versus, although I did work from home sometimes, as I mentioned, I didn't do it regularly, as I also mentioned. Um, if I did it for too long or too many days in a row, I would start to feel like I was getting out of the loop a little. And I feel, I don't feel that out of the loop feeling right now as much because everybody's in the same boat. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah. I could, see that feeling coming back if everybody else is back. I think, I think it depends, but, but that's a very long answer to your short question, which is, yes, I think I could certainly see it, but I also, because I did do it occasionally, I remember what it was like to work from home occasionally before, and it was not exactly the same. It was more of like a, you did it because you were looking for quiet, and so there weren't um, folks around the house, and maybe, you know, you did it maybe either because you've got, say, a, a delivery situation like, like I talked about or on the times where you did it just because you wanted to do it and you wanted some quiet, you wanted a few hours to get a brief done and hopefully you could get a lot of it done before the kids got home from school or whatever. That's a little bit different than why I'm at home now. And I, I don't know how to articulate it well, but it's a slightly different vibe to me. And so I think, yes, I would work from home some, but I think I'm also quite a, uh, herd follower (laughs) (laughs) and I'll probably do a lot of what others do. Um, because I think I, I have always enjoyed being in sync with most other folks so that I can connect and do my work when I'm doing my work, when everybody else is doing their work and connect. And if that's not what they're doing, then I don't need to be doing that. So I have learned that I'm pretty flexible and I can adapt to a lot. Um, I think I knew that about myself anyway, but it's, remains true at least or it has been reaffirmed no that's really insightful i I hadn't thought about that either you're you're right that it's easier to work from home right now because everybody's working from home and uh you you don't get that uh fomo right the fear of missing out uh because every you know where everybody is stuck and that will be different so that no, that's a good, that's a good right, point. Or even a peer pressure feeling like I should be at work, which it's funny because we certainly do not have that culture in our office. And heck, I'm one of the managers at the firm. So if I didn't want to be there, I don't need to be there. But it just is so ingrained in you, I think a little or in many lawyers, probably not all everyone. Oh, no, and I'm I not agree. even saying it's a good, and I don't even, I'm not saying it's a good thing to be ingrained in this. It's making no comment on whether that's good or bad. It is what it is. And that feeling is there a little bit too, I think. And so that is gone right now because everybody's at home and everybody's in the same boat. If that's not the case, will that feeling creep back in a little, you know, even if I'm sitting here diligently working from home, is it like I'm playing hooky? You know, <laughs> is that what people think? That no, sort of you're thing. Right. You're right. And it is in part, it's a function of firm culture a little bit. It's also a generational thing. I think, I think that, that you and I are more likely to feel guilty at home, even though we're working than, than people who are younger than us and, and people who are older than us feel even, even more strongly about it. I think it's, 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 it's generational in part, it's firm culture in part, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's hard to get away from that. And, you know, you can work 200 at bill 200 hours this month and, you know, that will show up and you're on a report somewhere and you'll collect a bunch of money or whatever. But, uh, 
people may still say, well, why isn't Cece ever here? Why isn't Dwayne here? You know, it's a real thing, whether, whether it's accurate or not, it's a perception. And, and that is something that maybe will change a little bit, but maybe won't. Right. And think about the folks who in your office, and I did work at a large firm and uh, as you mentioned, you do. There are some folks, at least I used to see, that did a lot of working from home. And one of the phenomena that people would either talk about or feel like you would see is that sort of when they're not around, because everyone else is around, and so they are popping in and out of each other's offices, is the person who's not physically in the office a lot, regardless of how much work or the productivity level, are they missing out on work opportunities because they're just not physically there for somebody to pop by the office or those sorts of things? Yeah. Um, I think that there's definitely less of that feeling in my smaller firm now than I saw at my larger firm. And, and my larger firm had a great firm culture as far as large firms go. So I think it's just kind of is what it is. You know, you get up out of your seat, you start wandering around and, if someone, if one person's there every day to wander around and, you know, chat with at your 2.30 break when you're bored in the afternoon and someone else isn't, over time you're just building a relationship with the person who's there that you're stopping in to chat with at 2.30 every afternoon on your break um, versus the person who's not. It's maybe not personal at first, you you know, and it has nothing to do with anything other than just you wander around and you're developing that relationship. Once again, if everyone is at home, then everyone's sort of on an equal playing field in that regard. If everyone is not, then, you know, relationships is one way of many, but that is one way relationships are built. And um, I I think some of us anyway, again, and this may be generational, like you said, to some extent, we're cognizant of that. And so it makes you, that's part of the missing out too. I know that I didn't like to be at home too much because I I want people to know I'm there and not just so they think I'm a good productive lawyer, but I want them there so I can continue to cultivate those personal relationships with them that I enjoy both on a personal friendship level and professionally can lead to more work and things that are good for my professional career. Yeah. And I do think it's worth saying, I touched on this a little bit on the on a previous podcast, but the the group of people who is, I think more hurt by the, working at home type environment is the young people, right? The the people that we, you know, at our age are trying to mentor and trying to train. I think it's uh, tougher on them than being in the office and being around and being able to ask dumb questions and just seeing the things that are going on and learning, you know, work habits and approaches and overhearing how more senior lawyers talk to people on the phone and that sort of thing. You know, I mean, I, I think that it will be, uh, a more work at home environment is tougher on younger lawyers who are still learning their craft and really trying to figure out, you know, who they are as lawyers. Those are, those are the people that will suffer more than, than you and I will. That's a great point because what you're really kind of talking about is the learning by osmosis that occurs um, that you don't even realize is happening when it's happening to you, when you're in your first few years of practice, because you're not consciously necessarily trying to learn. Maybe sometimes you are, but other times you're learning without even realizing it because Mm -hmm. you are just hearing things or you can, whether you realize what you're doing is comparing what that lawyer just did with a client versus this other lawyer down the hall did with a client. You are, you're doing that and you're making decisions about how you want to handle yourself and your career over time. Um, And I, I think that that's happening. Like I said, sometimes 
subconsciously, sometimes not, but it, it is happening and it's an important thing. Um, and they don't necessarily have, I was talking about building relationships, which I think is something that you do for your entire career, certainly. But it is true that the longer you're around, like my partner, Steve Brannick has been an appellate lawyer for a long time. He's fantastic. And he knows a lot of folks. And he's been doing it a long, long time. You know, he's not exactly going to drop off someone's radar. A younger lawyer just hasn't had the chance to do that uh, yet. You know, really cement all those personal and professional relationships that just come with time. And then, of course, there's everybody in the middle. We're all at varying places in our careers on that spectrum. But the further along the spectrum you get, I think the easier it is for you. And the earlier and sooner you are on the spectrum, the harder that is. And I think that's the point you're making. And I think it's a very good one. You know, talking about the personal relationships kind of doves into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is professional travel. You and I are both active members and former chairs of the appellate practice section and couple times a year we go to meetings of the appellate practice section and uh, and I always enjoy that you know we've got the retreats and the annual meeting uh, the Florida Bar Convention right all the lawyers in the state get together and those are things that I really enjoy for the personal relationships and seeing people and that sort of thing uh, we go even going to see I like going to CLEs in person to see the, the, the folks who are presenting and you know maybe there's judges there and that sort of thing I wonder, um, certainly in the short term, maybe in the longer term, I wonder what effect this is going to have on, you know, sort of non-essential travel. You know, will people people go to uh, bar meetings? Um, Will they be more, will they be less inclined to travel places that they don't need to go? Will CLEs become much more webinar focused as opposed to in-person? you know, I think in the short term, almost definitely, right? But I wonder what the long-term effects will be. I don't know. I've thought about that some, and obviously we don't have a crystal ball. I mean, I could see some change, but over the long haul, well, let's actually break it down a little. When it comes to CLEs, we've been seeing a change there for a long, long time. So that might continue to change, uh, you know, within the appellate practice section. When I used to do the CLEs, I mean, we've seen over time the web attendance versus live attendance in those numbers for a long time now. But but carving that out when it comes to just broader meetings and people getting around together from around the state for things like the annual, um, well, I guess it's really three times a year, but we have the big annual meetings for the Florida Bar. I have a hard time believing that will completely go by the wayside. There are a lot of very large meetings that you can certainly hold a very large meeting remotely, but it is harder yes. um, when you have like a rules committee meeting or a big section meeting or think about things like the foundation dinner. I mean, there are too many lawyers, I think, who feel the same way you do. And I feel that way, that they do like those relationships. They might, there might be some lawyer in Miami that you're friendly with that you guys, that's what you do. You see that person once or twice a year at a bar event and that's it. Um, and that's how you've gotten to know that person. You've been seeing that person for the last decade. I don't feel like I... For me, I find it hard to believe that that would change too terribly much as long as everyone feels safe. I mean, we're, we're assuming once we get over that hurdle. I, I'm not talking about right now or even necessarily at all within even 12 months. I don't, who knows what 12 months will hold, but probably right. at least the next three to six. But, um, but after that, once we're over this hump, I, you know what I wonder about even more is in the 
non-legal world, like regular business travel, all the people who, you know, hop on a plane to travel two time zones away to go to some meeting, maybe make a sales pitch, you know, for two to six hours and then hop on a plane and come back. Um, now that kind of travel, one of my siblings traveled constantly in the before world, constantly. And she would be one of the types, and I, you know, read articles from others that say, why in the world would I ever get on a plane again for a two hour meeting? <laughs> you know? right, right. And, and, a, and a plane that doesn't take me to West Palm beach from Tampa, a plane that takes me out to say Phoenix, Arizona, uh, from Tampa. Um, and I don't think, at least us in litigation, we don't have as much of that other than things, you know, you've got depots and those sorts of things. And, you know, already the rules committees have been working on ways to where we're able to do things like wear people in remotely. And I think those kind of changes to maybe be able to do some of those things remotely have already been coming. It might just be accelerated. So those kinds of things. But other than that, the nature of our business when we're getting together to sort of get together um it's because people are wanting to get together they're holding that annual conference they're holding that giant uh rules committee meeting and how do you even get to know people to learn more about something else you're interested in so at least i hope that over the long haul in the coming years that doesn't get gutted or changed too terribly yeah i think we'll probably see um a little bit of both, right? Like what you're saying. I think that some of the things that we have traveled for that were more business oriented that could be done remotely, maybe will be done. But I got to hope that, you know, we're still having a dessert reception and that the bar is still getting together for, you know, meetings and that sort of thing when it's safe to do so. But, you know, as an example, right. I uh, have served the last couple of years on the appellate certification committee. And one of the uh, the biggest day of the year on the appellate certification committee is the day we get together and grade the exams, grade the essay portions of the exam. And it's a mandatory meeting and everybody flies to, you know, or if they're local, but, you know, wherever the chair has set the meeting, which you know, a lot of times is in South Florida or whatever, and uh, or, or Orlando, I've always had to travel for it. And you go down for a full day of in-person uh, grading. And having been through the process, uh, I thought there's no way we could do this remotely, right? Because we sit around a table, we grade things, we pass things around, we make notes. Um, and this year the bar said, you, you can't, you know, you've got to do this remotely. And so um, Kansas Gooden, who was our chair, you know, she came up with a process and uh, we shared things and shared screens and uh, divided up into small groups and had uh, shared spreadsheets with notes. And you know what? It was fine. It worked. And I would have never thought that was something that we could have done, but it was because we didn't have to do it. <laughs> and once we decided right. this and is something a, we had to do, it was doable. Right. There's a lot you can do when you have to. And I will say, Kansas Gooden would be phenomenal at that task of making <laughs> that <was>. happen, <laughs> as would you, actually. So so as soon as you said Kansas did it, I thought, oh, well, I know where this is going. If Kansas, if Kansas were in charge of it, then yes, I'm sure that it was handled beautifully. Yes. And so, you know, at some point uh, next year, we'll make a decision. Are we going to meet in person or are we going to do it uh, this way again? And I don't know which way we'll go on that. I thought everybody thought that doing it, doing it virtually, you know, now we didn't do it in a day. We did it over a course of a week with back and forth and whatever. But, you know, instead of flying down and spending 
10 hours in a conference room, I spent, you know, two hours for five days in a row or something, you know what I mean? And, and so that, that kind of stuff, uh, that we, we always thought we had to do in person, maybe there'll be some reevaluation of whether that's the most efficient way, you know? But I think that the technologies that we've learned and the video conferencing and the screen sharing and the drop boxes and the kind of stuff that this pandemic forced us to learn and get familiar with, I think we'll figure out, you know what, um, we can apply that even when we could travel, but maybe we don't need to, or maybe we shouldn't. Right. And I think you're right about that. I think we will see that. I mean, I really do. So CC, I really appreciate your time uh, today. I think it was good exercise to sort of evaluate where we are in this process and kind of figure out what we've learned and we'll figure out where we're going as we get there, I guess, because we're all charting, charting new territory, but it's, it's good to talk about. And I think, um, I think we have learned a lot. Yeah. Thank you. I, I thanks for having me again. And I think that we have learned a lot and I, you know, I keep learning even as we go, right. I learned something new from you today, technology wise. And it's been, it's, I don't want to, fun is not the right word. The whole thing is far from fun, but some of these little lessons we've been forced to learn have been fun little lessons. So it's always tough, right? Cause you have to inherently you have to discount the human toll. I mean, there's been, you know, tolls in life and, 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 and money and, and economic damage and all that sort of thing. So this is not at all to diminish any of that. But that being said, um, there's always a silver lining, right? And, and I think the fact that we have learned a lot of things about ourselves and about the way we work and, and we've sort of forced ourselves to take a different approach to, to life and to work. And maybe some of those things will ultimately be a benefit to us all. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Well, thanks, CC. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks again. My thanks to CC Berman for being on the podcast. Remember, Podcasts are never legal advice, and nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for a particular situation. That being said, if you're a lawyer who needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. You can contact me at Issues on Appeal on Twitter or my professional email, ddaiker at shoemaker.com. My contact info is always in the show notes, which are available in your podcast player or on my website, issuesonappeal.com. And please, Consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is also in the show notes. Take a moment now, add it to your contacts, so that you're ready whenever a client needs a supersedious bond. My next episode, which will be episode 30, it'll be the last episode of the third season of the Issues on Appeal podcast, will be out in two weeks. I hope that you will download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. 